Welcome, everyone, to the For This Land podcast. I'm Pat Bouton. And I'm Mickey Bouton, and we are a husband and wife team bent on connecting people to nature, each other, and themselves. Take a listen as we share the stories, the science, and the practical know-how needed to help turn you into the best version of yourself possible, as well as a more effective participant in the natural world. All right, guys, today we're introducing ourselves. This is our first episode and we're figuring this whole thing out. Maybe I didn't need to tell you that. <laughs> Usually episode one is people figuring it out. Well, now we sound like amateurs. <laughs> Which we kind of are. I didn't say that. We're professionals. <laughs> trained. In certain things, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically education, natural resource restoration, and biology. Yeah. Between the two of us. Yeah. Mostly me. Okay. <laughs> That's not true. No. So we're introducing ourselves. We're letting you know what we're all about, who we are. And let's just start off with kind of our our bigger mission and what we're after. Yes. With the, with the podcast here. Well, uh, first, we our podcast is called For This Land. That was a name created by my husband. That's you want me. to tell the backstory of that? Well, the, it all started off with me wanting to do a YouTube channel after I left my uh, uh, career in restoration to be a stay-at-home dad for a while. I spent a lot of time watching YouTube channels about knives and stuff, and I thought, man, I could do that. So I started shooting a bunch of knife reviews and multi-tool reviews based on my unhealthy obsession with those products. Um, and, and it hit a point where I was like, this is not useful. I mean, it is because... Definitely plenty of people watch those videos. Those are the most watched videos I have, which is infuriating because, well, it is and it isn't. Because I also want it to be more, you know, broadly beneficial to the world than just, you know, talking about pieces of metal that are sharp on one side. <laughs> um, but uh, the idea came to me where I, I wanted to facilitate people having a connection to the natural world through my videos. And while I still share and make videos about knives and stuff, I also try to throw out things of, you know, how to have a garden with native species in the central Washington area and how to uh, have, you know, use plants as medicine and things like that. Um, and the idea being that we are all part of this land, we are all with it, and if you do something for this land, you are essentially doing something for everyone that is part of it. And that's where that name came from. And so in our, in our creation of this podcast and in our creation of this um, mission, uh, what do you see being the mission for, for this land? Uh, the mission is to create a populace of people that are more mentally, spiritually, and physically tuned to the natural world. Um, because we are from it. We are of it. And the longer we carry on under the assumption that we are not, the more harm we do to the land we are from and ourselves in turn. Mm -hmm. And so if there can be a shift in the broader psyche of humanity, then everything will be better. That's fair. Now, see, here's what's interesting is because we, uh, both Pat and I, have the mission of, of what Pat just said, um, but we come at it from two kind of different perspectives. Um, uh, for me personally, I am very connected in 
society and how we create a better society and how we can improve our lives um, through connections to nature and with nature and from nature. And for me, it's how do we teach people to connect to nature and each other in a way that will further all of us and everything. Well, that's kind of what I do too. You, you get, you get more easily bogged down. I I say bogged down, but it's not necessarily bogging down. More focused and ingrained on the details and specifics of education, of educating. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's because you you find greater joy in the act of educating. I do. Because we're we're both educators. We're both teachers. Um, we we make our living off of shaping the minds of the future generations. Well, I mean, I guess they're today's generations, but they'll be older and in charge later. The Um, future decision-making generations. Yeah, the future decision-makers. But so her her joy comes more in the act of education, and while I also find joy in that, mine comes out of a, 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 what would I say, less, more... uh, well, I guess it would be worth saying one of your professions was restoration of the natural world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but I've also I've also been a lifelong poet and musician and actor and so I delve deeper into the artistry and spirituality of the connection and things like that whereas and and because of that I lose sight of the actual act of being an educator it's one i think people get educated by virtue of coming along with me it's accidental (laughs) you know (laughs) like you learn something just because you happen to be there whereas uh my wife here is actually a talented creative conscientious educator specifically in that that skill set you know what i mean thank you honey I think you're better than me. (laughs) (laughs) That's one. I got one. (laughs) Well, and I think uh, when we're talking about kind of our mission for this project, it's really because we are educators. We do see a deficit that our education system isn't, isn't able to fix because of the way that it is set up. Uh, and that's no fault to any educator. It is simply because it's just it's just the system. Yeah, it's the the nature of the structure of the system that was developed by industrial tycoons to create industrial workers. And mm-hmm. disagree with it or not, the it was brought over by Carnegie and a bunch of people from Prussia. And I'm a history teacher, so I'll get lost in these weeds real quick. <laughs> um, but uh, the world around us has changed as well. Industrialization has changed and everything else. And as we see a rise in teen depression, teen suicides, teen eating disorders, we see a decline in not just nature exposure, but natural areas in general. We can't help but think that those two things are directly related to each other. Mm. And so the idea is the world will be a better place if people are more connected to the natural world. And each other. And each other. And I think they go hand in hand. I mean, mm. uh, I mean, just thinking for safety's sake, go out into nature with a buddy, you know? Oh, right, yeah. Although it's weird that we say that, take someone out, 
don't go alone, but like our most revered naturalists definitely went out there all alone. They did. It's William true. O. Douglas, John Muir, um, even Roosevelt. He took people along, though, because he was all about showing off how manly he was and stuff. I mean, it was more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was. But uh, they definitely wandered the wilds solo for long periods of time. Daniel Boone. It's true, but it is worth noting that the environment back then is not the same as it is today. Why? It's, well, just because there are more people out. Yeah. Here's what there are. There's less land, which means that people are more confined into that space. So you have less space to roam, as well as just laws and things where there is not a right to roam in the United States. Which, that could be a fun episode. That would be a right episode. to roam laws. Yep, that would be fascinating. Only rich people are upset by that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure if we had all that land, maybe we would be too. Well, just <laughs> ask the UK, man. The only people that fought against the right to roam laws in the UK were the super rich that had land. Mm. Um, and it, it is also worth mentioning that our most famed naturalists that went out into the woods alone, also thinking about like Ray Mears and Nesmuk and... Um, other guy whose book I can see in my head. He's got a knife pattern named after him. Anyway, they're the ones that didn't die, that did come back. I'm sure there's plenty of people that went out into the woods all by themselves, had mm. brilliant things to say, and never came home. <laughs> That's... That's why when people went to war, they always had someone write it down for them. <laughs> yes. So that way, in case they died. Yeah, I digress. But yeah. just, just from... Just from the, this conversation, hopefully you're able to see that there's the the broad expanse and history and connection to nature is endless, and the stories and the know-how and the the science that we haven't even tied to are provide a lot of material and food for thought and and uh, tools for growth for mm. the individual as well as society at at large. Yeah, which is kind of what we're here to do. Well, and to remind people that. That everyone has a story that connects them to a natural space. Mm. It is not... Nature doesn't mean that you have to go backpacking for six days on the Pacific Crest Trail by yourself barefoot. It just means... Though if you have the gumption for that, it is recommended. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, it, it when we talk about nature, we talk about that... All the way down to, can you put plants into your environment, inside your house, inside your office, inside your school space, to improve yourself? Do those things matter? Do they benefit you? And how do they do that? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, they do. They do benefit you. So, and our mission is to, as far as this podcast goes, is to show you how they benefit you, how you can utilize that information to make yourself better, to make your area better and your world a better place, as well as creating a space for people to learn how to care for the land that we all exist on. Well, and on that story note, I think this is a good spot for us to actually share a couple of our own personal stories. Mm. There's three I'm thinking of. Okay. One from me, one from you, and then a particular one we have together. Oh, okay. I'll go first. Okay. Uh, tying into the idea of 
having those stories connecting us to the land. My first time seeing the Northern Lights as a child was on a camping trip with my family. Um, I believe my brother was there. It was my dad and mom. And it was at Round Lake in Idaho. Now, it is worth noting at this point that you can go almost anywhere and find many, many lakes named Round Lake. When it comes to lake naming, there's a distinct lack of imagination that goes into naming lakes. Like, oh, what shape is that? It's pretty round. Round Lake. Oh, what should we name this lake? Well, there's three of them here. It'll be, let's name them the Three Sisters Lakes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This one seems really long. This should be yeah. a long lake. It's called Long Lake. <laughs> I, just, I get a really eerie vibe coming off of this lake. Lake Erie. Got it. Let's go. <laughs> um, so this is one of the millions of round lakes across the world. This one's very salty. What should we call this one? Yeah, it, and it's great. Yeah, yeah great it's salt huge. lake. <laughs> Sorry, I can't digress. call it a sea though. No, nope. God forbid we do that. Anyway, <laughs> um, so we're it. It was nighttime, and I remember sitting out on the dock, and they were they were just kind of starting to dance around, and the sky like you never needed a flashlight once you kind of got into the open area. Um, surrounding the dock just because the stars were so vibrant and bright that there was that was enough that was all the light you needed mm. to, to traverse the area and we're laying down there brandon might have been there too actually mm. well my best friend from back in the day what up brandon um uh and so we're watching them dance across the sky and it it was time to go on a night hike so my dad rounded us up and we had flashlights and there was a trail that circled the lake and it wasn't a particularly long trail. It is in my memory because I was like eight or nine, maybe somewhere around there. So a mile is five when you're, when you're eight. But as we were hiking along the trail, you, we could see the Northern lights, you know, peeking through the boughs of the pines the the babble of the creek to our left and there were beaver ponds periodically along this creek that fed round lake we at first started getting super freaked out because there were all these splashes coming from the water and we were like what is that oh my god it's a bear or a dragon or or uh as the, eight-year-olds do yeah the balrock you know obviously the fiery demon from the lord of the rings is that the balrock right bell law is anyway um <laughs> Turned out it was just beavers, and when I learned about beaver behavior later, it made a whole lot of sense because they're like, ah, danger, and they slap the water with their tails to warn all of their homies that danger's around, and then they all kind of disappeared. But that was one of those memories that's cemented in my mind, and it's also worth mentioning, too, that this could be the mix of like three or four memories over time <laughs> that I'm melding into one, but the point is, is it's stuck with me ever since. And those are the things you carry with you, the kind of things that shape you as a person. Mm -hmm. And they seem to just have more power when they're out in, in the natural world. It could be, not to cut into your story, but there's a certain level of danger that mm. allows you to remember these things. And being out in nature in those kinds of settings, there there is danger, obviously, but it's almost a mitigated danger that that seems comfortable and normal whereas you know there are other things that are dangerous 
that you will remember, but they are, they don't feel normal. They don't feel like, yes, this is a, this is a danger that I understand and can deal with. Mm-hmm. What's your story? Uh, my story with nature. Well, I guess for me, I have been the daughter of a environmental lawyer all my life, which means that I have been attached to the environment all my life. And if you've ever done secretary work for an environmental lawyer, it's crazy. But that's a different story. Um, I'd like to interject here and say, if you've ever done secretary work for any lawyer, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Uh, But with that, um, I have always grown up with the idea that you need to be out in nature. And you need to disconnect from civilization, at least for a short amount of time, to kind of remember who you are in all of it. And... I could talk about us camping and spending time, but I actually, as I sit here and think, one of the things that shaped me as a kid the most and that I remember is huckleberry picking with my family. And every year we go up and we go huckleberry picking as a family and you do all the necessary things. We all have buckets with belts and we're looking around as a family and you're there's all these different things that... Um, that you have to pay attention to while you're doing that. And the reward are the berries and ultimately my mom's coffee cake on Christmas morning that we all have to wait for six months. Glorious coffee cake. (laughs) Uh, But it's, that is a place where you, you are receiving something from nature, but you are definitely a part of nature. You're not special while you're in the woods picking those berries because at any point in time, a bear could be joining you or a cougar could be watching you, but it that doesn't matter because just the feeling you get while you're out there and the, the camaraderie you have with the people you're picking with is quite amazing. And just to divert one time, nature always isn't beautiful, but it is memorable and my son, when he was first born, he was probably six months old. We went huckleberry picking and I had him wrapped in a, a wrap on my chest as I'm picking berries. And I thought to myself, for some reason, oh, I need to stand up on this stump so I can see things better. And I stood up on that stump and I'm looking around and all of a sudden my legs start really hurting as if something's pinching me. And I looked down and I had ants crawling up my legs because I had stood on this stump that was obviously their home and 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 obvious I now. I obvious now and I very quickly jumped off remembering I had my baby strapped to my chest I very quickly remembered him and I had to do a very awkward dance as I hopped off this log but <laughs> so it wasn't a beautiful experience but it was definitely a memorable one and now I know when you're huckleberry picking watch out for stumps because they could be the home of an animal (laughs) and part of our growing up with this you know naturalist kind of families every year we take a week or so to go camping at ohanapakash in mount rainier national park and one of the traditions of this is to hike to the second borough mountain and sit upon a stone bench and bask in the glory of mount rainier yes there was one particular year about almost eight years ago now, Yep. where 
I orchestrated to make sure that no one wanted to go on that hike, except for me. I was very upset. She by was this. furious. She I'm was ready to. Upset. She was ready to abandon her entire family. How dare you defile the tradition of scaling the Burroughs Mountains of Mount Rainier? Because we did it together. Because we no always did it to. together. It was right. a family event, and it no was. one wanted to. What was happening? She felt betrayed and heartbroken, and it was just me, her at the time boyfriend, only one willing to go. Which earned me some brownie points, I must say, in that moment. <laughs> It and did. It did. It's it didn't end there, though. So we, we get up there to the hike, and we spend most of the drive from the campsite to um, the Paradise Base Camp listening to her bemoan the betrayal of her family. And during this time, too, I've, I had tendonitis in my Achilles heel and was taking these anti-inflammatories that thinned my blood a bit. Yeah. And as we're hiking up the trail, it's it's not a... A lackadaisical jaunt into the wilderness it gets pretty steep and the air begins to get ra- rather thin so i'm wearing my struggle face real hard mm-hmm. and at this point what was going through your head well so i was mad that we it was just you and i not that i wasn't appreciative of you being there but it was not tradition and then it also occurred to me as we're hiking up and he's pausing constantly and his heart is racing and i'm thinking okay I'm half your size. There is no way I'm carrying you down this mountain. We should turn around. So multiple times I said, it's fine. Let's turn around. It's I, fine. I would not let that stand. We had a mission. <laughs> Apparently. Up at the stone bench. No, we did. She didn't know what it was, but we did. And we finally get up to the top, and it was more of a trial for her than I think it might have been for me. I was motivated by love. And as we were sitting on the stone bench, hanging around, I was waiting for it to kind of clear out a little bit because it was just the most perfect and pristine moment. It was beautiful. At least it was supposed to have been. Her anxiety and anger set aside. Yeah. Uh, And it was at that moment that I asked my now wife to become my wife at all. I got on my knee with the Mount Rainier standing guardian over my shoulder and I asked her to marry me. It took her a while to say yes. (laughs) As, as her brain short-circuited and tried to comprehend what was going on. But she finally did. And we are now a husband and wife. Yes. <laughs> and that is our shared story. Which makes... Which is a perfect example because now we still hike that trail. Mm-hmm. We make all of our children hike that trail. We do. And... Much to their chagrin. <laughs> yeah. But it makes it... It makes that experience that much sweeter because we do have that story. And I've had many other stories with that mountain, with that hike, um, but that one has become kind of the, the pinnacle of those stories. And the point in us sharing these stories is to highlight that those are the things that make, those are the kinds of stories and experiences that make a person. And they happen. In the wilderness. They're most powerful and poignant in the wilderness, in natural spaces. And those are the kinds of stories we want to share with you, along with the science that makes what we intuit to be true just true. Mm. Which is one of the more brilliant things that we'll get to later on down the line. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed this, our inaugural episode of the For This Land podcast. 
I hope you have your own stories that you'll want to share. Please make sure to check us out on Facebook. We have a For This Land page. There's an Instagram For This Land page. <laughs> there is even a YouTube channel, the For This Land channel, for all of your outdoor wilderness fixation needs. And please feel free to share any of your experiences, and maybe there will come a point where we'll be able to feature some of your stories and experiences here on the podcast as well. Have a wonderful day. Godspeed, and remember that whatever you do for this land, you do for everybody. Good night.